welcome to the Ask Is Anything with the cast of Culp and Culpability for the Regency Cthulhu setting. We will be returning for season two next week, but in the meantime, let's answer your questions and cast your questions uh, because we've had some quite wonderful questions coming through uh, the community but we couldn't help ourselves as well uh, so we're actually going to start off with a community member this is a question and this is going to be for everybody okay so brace yourselves cast oh actually very quickly uh if i just call you out can you just introduce and remind yourself because our listeners will know your voice but they might not know your face um so uh, uh Stu, would you mind telling us who you play in cult and culpability so I'm Stu and I play Mr. Thomas Prido, and this is how I normally dress. <laughs> um, Phaedra, could you please tell us who you play on Cult and Culpability? Hello, I'm Phaedra and I play Anastasia or Anastasia, depending on who you ask, Prido. And Cosmic, could you tell us who you play, please? Hi, I'm Cosmic and I play the Reverend Prido, Reverend George Prido. And Lydia. Hi, everybody. I play Charlotte Lambert. And Mr. Howell himself. Hi, I'm Howell. I play Mr. Christopher Burroughs, the apprentice lawyer. Excellent. Well, there we go. Faces to the names. Uh, so we'll go straight on to our first question. This is from Sophie T. This question says, uh, which plot hook or aspect of your investigator arc are you most excited to have your character explore next season? Ooh. Uh, and I think, why don't we go in that order again? So, uh, Stu, playing Thomas Prudo, what's your kind of most excitable character arc? So, spoilers for the last episode of season one was the reappearance of Mr. Jenkins at the uh, Prudo Manor. And, uh, well, let's just say I'm rather excited to see how Thomas feels about a potential betrothal between uh, Mr. Jenkins and Anastasia. And we're going to go straight over to Phaedra uh, to see what Anastasia's thoughts are on that. Uh, I am personally not excited about the Mr. Jenkins arc. I am rather <laughs> terrified and uh, I, I want him to just go away and leave me alone. Um, uh, in terms of more excited, positive feelings, I do want to bring up the, um, the arc around my shared dreams um, uh, with Lydia's character. And yeah, wanting to know more about what's happening in the kind of dreams, distant past boat space. I'm quite excited to explore that more. I don't want to explore Jenkins. I just want to kill him. <laughs> explore his funeral. Uh, back to the church, everyone. Um, okay. Uh, Cosmic. Let's hear from Reverend George. Well, Reverend George uh, is very much still interested. He hasn't forgotten about the book that his brother has, and uh, poor uh, you know, manservant died. I forget his name now. R.I.P. Isaac Chambers. Oh, I'm R.I.P. Isaac Chambers. There, there we go. He died an awfully long time ago. Um, <laughs> but there might be something in the book that's going to unlock a little bit of this mystery. Maybe George's brother, Adam, knew something about Kingscombe and what mysteries it holds. Now we've finally got there. Mm, yeah, okay, okay. I like that. Uh, Lydia, Charlotte Lambert. Well, it's kind of a dual thing for me. Um, Philippe 
how has he come back? Why has he come back? What does he want? And also that note that he passed her, that you are done, done with a you. So I think Charlotte definitely wants to look into the Dunn family and find out, you know, what does this note refer to? Is it to the past? Is it to the future? Does Philippe want her to ally herself with the Dunn's? Lots of mysteries going on there that I think I'm really looking forward to exploring. Nice. Okay. And Mr. Hal playing Mr. Burroughs. Well, Mr. Burroughs was brought in from a legal standpoint just to find out more about and to assist with the transition of this aristocratic family with some strange anomalies in their genealogical record. And that was interesting enough, but I think it really started going off the rails on a particular evening when he got roped into dealing with a red-eyed intruder leaving creepy letters in a young lady's bedroom. So I think that is, uh, that's his introduction to the realm of the creepy and what I'm most interested in. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, when we say Mr. Burroughs, it's almost synonymous with uh, ladies' bedrooms at this point, isn't it? Considering the way our story's gone. Um, which is the dice's fault and nobody else's. Uh, our next question actually comes from none other than Phaedra, who plays Anastasia. Uh, Phaedra's question is this. I, for one, would like for all the cast members to tell us their favourite ship between all of the characters in Cult and Culpability, please. So what's your favourite relationship that's going on? And uh, we'll go in reverse order. So, uh, Hal, we'll start with you, if that's all right. Is it bad form to like your own ship? Because no. there's something about <laughs> Burroughs and Aldworth which really does it for me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Just the absolute worship of a lawyer is something very <laughs> cosmically alien to me, um, but that really works for Mr. Burroughs. Nice. Okay, yeah, cool. And Lydia for Charlotte. Oh, you know, I'm really torn between Burroughs, Anastasia and uh, Charlotte Philippe. Because, I mean, Anastasia and Burroughs are kind of adorable, really. And neither of them, I think, can really see whether it's happening or if it's happening or how they actually feel. I don't know. But I I, uh, I like the potential of that one. And, of course, Charlotte <laughs> Philippe. That's just, wow, pure gothic romance, isn't it? I love yes. that. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, Charles, who plays Philippe, is, I think, in a nutshell, a gothic romance. So... I think that's fair. That's absolutely, fair absolutely. It's very easy to imagine eloping, definitely, <laughs> when you've got uh, Charles playing him. Um, Phaedra for Anastasia. Um, yeah, I actually, funnily enough, I asked that question without uh, being exa exactly sure myself what my answer would be, which are always the best questions. Um, I'm going to go out of left field and say Mr. Jenkins and Thomas Prudhoe. I think there's something there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think, uh, yeah, I think you, you, you... <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I uh, think that they might be, yeah, there might be more there than we, than we know about. Someone's getting married. We're not saying who. Um, Cosmic for the Reverend, please. Uh, well, the Reverend and he, well, the Reverend looks upon the two children and their relationship and how he's supposed to be shepherding them. But uh, me as a, pl a player, it's just, just kind of like, wow, you two are proper chips off the old block, aren't you? Um, so that's good fun to uh, watch those two uh, play it out. I suppose a really relative point for you as well, like a character playing point, because that's a, for your investigator, that's part of his charge, isn't it? Is looking mm. after the, the nephew and the niece. Yeah. And uh, Stu. 
think I'm going to go for the the, the obvious is the the Charlotte Philippe. Absolutely, especially mm. with the the time that has passed since they last saw that, yeah. uh, what's quite going on. Although in the episode in which Burroughs first appeared, I felt that at one point after Thomas had had a, a few too many and Burroughs was a little bit exasperated, that the, just possibly the slight spark of a bromance starting to appear. So we'll see I where that goes. You were trying to convince him to play some cards, I think, at one oh, point, weren't you? And you were yeah. kind of going, well, come on, play some cards. I'll even let you win some money back or give me an IOU or something. It was a little intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, the, um, the, the disparity in rank would never work, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes it exciting, right? You couldn't tell anyone. I'm just going to chuck my mine quick in there um, because I think a little bit like Fade reminds a little out of left field here. There, and I think this is because I had nothing to do with it, and it was the role playing of uh, the wonderful um, uh, you guys and the investigators. I loved the moment where um, Charles playing Philippe met anastasia and there was a line where anastasia mm. said what are you doing with charlotte why is she in a lake and charles just being brilliant role player charles said she's not in a lake she's on a boat and the, i think there was like an argument between you two about almost about the possessiveness of of the character of charlotte i thought that was cool i'm, I'm quite interested to see where that goes um because i have nothing to do with that interaction that's very much you guys so that's very exciting as the keeper um Okay, so this next question is uh, from uh, Scotty D. Um, and uh, this question is, the investigators seem to have turned against each other to the investigators. Was this out of survival or for another reason? And then it says to the keeper, Newman, did you do this on purpose? So we'll go with the uh, investigators <laughs> first, shall we? The... Um, the, the the investigators have turned on each other. Was this out of survival? And um, Charlotte, we'll start with you on this one, please. Well, I think I think in season one, there's been a lot of division between Charlotte and particularly with the Reverend. And um, I think some of it is born out of sort of self-doubt and questioning because she kind of occupies this very in-between space, really, Charlotte does. Um, she's neither fully a member of the family she feels like but she's also neither fully an outsider fully one of the servant class and um so i think there's a lot of kind of jostling for position there on charlotte's part and i think that she feels the reverend just doesn't get her and uh so i'm really looking forward to letting everybody see how that plays out in season two it's it's an arc yeah. i think we've started cosmic and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing whether they patch things up or whether they just become more and more divided nice uh we'll bounce around Stu. let's go to you next please it's it's interesting how we've we have sort of brought out the the family and particularly the sibling rivalries in this group. Not that high-born, high-class families in the United Kingdom have sibling rivalries. No, never happens. <laughs> Nobody writes books about them either. Um, but um, no, it's it it just happened naturally. But yeah. I feel it's happened naturally in the way that we we've we've been living as a family unit for such a long time. But now something external has come in. This cosmic horror that is chasing us and everybody's interpretation of what's going on is leading their paranoia and separating us off. The one thing that I'm actually surprised about is how the Reverend and Thomas are growing closer, although probably they have been probably most at loggerheads together mm. in the past. 
now that all this is happening, they have come together to really try and protect the family, possibly misguidedly, but yes. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Reverend Cosmic, let's hear from you. Well, um, the Reverend really is all about trying to keep everyone together. He He's actually at a bit of a loss as to quite what on earth is going on. I mean, he simply had to go down to Kingscombe, take everyone down on a coach, listen to a will and come back home again. And now everything's gone to pot. Um, <laughs> so he's actually at a bit of a loss as to quite what is going on. So he'll probably actually try and begin to gather the people back in um you know the story is helping in that there's some weird stuff going on so he's probably a little more inclined to believe what people are saying um so yeah i think in in season two he'll probably have to i don't i don't think he's actually on a high horse particularly but you know certainly take a step backwards and just go right Maybe things are a little strange. We need to adjust the approach. Mm. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, Phaedra, Anastasia, let's hear from you. I think that there has always been a division. So I feel like from from kind of how it emerged naturally in the in the recordings, Anastasia has always been on the outskirts of the family affairs. Uh, with the uncle and her brother kind of talking and knowing everything about what's happening, but not sharing it with her. She has never cared until her father disappeared. And that's, I think, when it began, where she actually realized that it's a boys club and she's not invited in. I think initially that was the main division. Like they're trying to protect her, but actually yeah. they're just not giving her any information, even when it's really serious things. That brought her closer to Lydia's character, Charlotte, initially. I think we had kind of like a gender division naturally formed yeah. because of the, Absolutely. you know, role-played sexism of the time. And then, of course, Newman decided <laughs> decided to give uh, Charlotte voices about not being a Prado anymore. And then there was a division between them just based on, on that kind of, um, yeah, whether she belongs, whether she doesn't belong. And I think Anastasia has always wanted to be close with Charlotte and Anastasia didn't really have anything against her and then barrow she's been quite trusting and open so i think that for her it's mostly her, her brother and her uncle just not mm-hmm. taking her seriously and charlotte being upset with her but she doesn't know why barrow is just a guy she doesn't really <laughs> feel any conflict with him he's just doing his thing <laughs> is that as close as anastasia comes to true love she doesn't have any conflict with him yeah we'll keep him close keep him close Anastasia is not a romantic person. She's more of a, yeah, just doing her own thing. Well, Mr. Burroughs, let's hear from you about that conflict because it's a slightly different situation for you, isn't it? Very much so. Um, Mr. Burroughs has entered the story late, obviously, and not as a member of the family. His first uh, duty and loyalty is always to the firm. So he's very much a, a self-effacing, subservient chap of a lower class who's sort of been, a, although he's ambitious, he's currently a pawn in other people's games. So sent in by Aldworth for clear instructions to get the family where they needed to be and to find out as much as he could about them on the way. Um, he sort of had trouble saying no when things showed up unexpectedly in what was supposed to be quite a simple job. Um, but he's not driven by a particular desire to protect or defend the interests of this family or any particular claim to its uh, ancestral seat. 
um, so much as he is just hoping to find a path of least resistance to eventually getting his own legal practice, which is starting to look increasingly unlikely. <laughs> that could be the cosmic horror, is that you do get your own legal practice and all the pressure that comes with it. Um, God, the desk job, awful. Uh, I, so I'll throw something in there, and I suppose this is confession time because season one is over. It, it, when we started this and we were looking at playing this family unit, I did take the opportunity purely to see if it came up in the role-playing to experiment with how far you, with a few little nudges and nuggets here and there, were willing to tear the family apart. <laughs> and do you know what? You could have, you know, it could have been a lot worse, could have been a lot better. But I think that, I, I, I think... <laughs> The only reason I had that thought as a keeper was because in so many scenarios and campaigns, there are so many reasons to band together, to work together, to find the clues and work together and unsolve the mystery. Now, we still have that, but because they're a family, I kind of wanted, to, and you guys brought all of this out. I just dropped some some hints here and there, but it was the idea that they're already together. So let's see how far we can test that um which has been really i think it's added hugely to the character dynamics and to the relationships that you've evolved there's been i don't think there's been any railroading there it's all been presentations and opportunities which is kind of i think uh what the keeper's job is um so there you go my little confession there was a there was a slight active awareness of wonder how far we can tear this family apart before they realize what's going on um but you did it to yourself like the brilliant Radiohead song that it is. Um, okay, uh, we have a question from Jason. Um, so, I've heard on the grapevine that Newman likes to periodically ask the player characters, that's you guys, questions that relate to future events. Uh, how does Newman strike a balance between a richer storytelling experience and metagaming with this extra background knowledge? Um, I think, uh, because of the nature of what we're doing and the nature of this being a big campaign in this is this setting um which is you know we're all a part of the mr community so we're used to writing these smaller scenarios and having these certain hooks and moments that happen uh with this being a bit bigger a there have been moments where i've said um well i don't know i'm trying to think actually uh there could be a um maybe a location or the possibility of an event coming up or maybe i'm just asking the players maybe how they feel about something it's a, so I feel personally, I feel as a keeper that I'm I'm kind of being responsible with with my investigators and that they get to explore parts of their characters that they want to, um, because we are recording this podcast and as much as we're sharing this with the the wider world and we love doing that because we're really proud of what we're doing, but it is really important for me that these guys get their experience. When I've run campaigns in my home games before. I have done something similar where I've actually spoken to the the players outside of the game and just it, no kind of hidden secrets, gems or anything like that, but just getting a hint of what they really enjoy exploring. Or can I, so for example, quite early on in this, um, Thomas's and Anastasia's father and the Reverend's brother uh, went missing. Adam Prado, um left in a carriage and went missing just asking these guys how they felt about that. And yes, we did it in-game, but getting a bigger gauge of it outside of game allowed me to create more of a world that these guys, hopefully, they wanted to explore. So that's kind of the idea. Um, I think, uh, and it's coming up in a later question, if there was a question about, okay, well, you know, we're going to kind of 
go to this location. I think it's been relatively obvious from a few episodes that we were trying very hard to get to Kingscombe, but so many things were happening. Um, so saying things like, okay, I'm going to, on the, on, on the, we're going to start and I'm going to ask you as we start on the carriage, how did you get out of that situation? Or what are you thinking about? So just that little prep, just that little thing to give the investigator something to think about. A, I feel like I'm supporting the the investigator in their role-playing experience. And B, I think as a group, we recognized there was going to be a passage of time where we were all comfortable with that happening. Um, it's a really good question, Jason, because that's actually made me reflect on my own practice a little bit and actually think about why I did that. So yeah, thank you very much. Um, okay. Uh, a question now from none other than our very own Mr. Howell. Uh, oh, this is a keeper question again. Oh, I didn't plan that very well, did I? Uh, how far in advance did you have the finale planned? Finale? Have we got to finish this thing at some point? Uh, and did you expect the journey to the Kingscombe to take so long? No, no, I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I was really glad it did, though, in a way, because I there were some lovely moments in there, you know, what with being in the house in the countryside and the lightning and the Jenkins and the eyes and the other person and the Reverend running out with a shotgun and Thomas accosting Mr. Burroughs in the corridor while Anastasia ran off screaming. Lots of lovely moments were created from that journey. Um, it could have been that we left Shepford Manor and said, okay, we're now in Kingscombe. I think for what we're doing, the, the longer uh, element of it, we've allowed our investigators to evolve and develop in that time uh how far in advance did i have the finale planned the season one finale just to be clear ah cool okay good 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 um yeah i'd say after about i i, I knew from the get-go where i would have liked us to, to have been it was very important to me that that you were there for the funeral of uh lord matthew prido and had a lot of um your questions mystique and intrigue around lord matthew prido and that you were in that environment um but i think the actual to do with mr jenkins that you have been left in this this horrific purgatory of, of fear and violence that you've been left in um that came about relatively organically um and again that came from things like being in the country house on the way there and having that interaction with Mr. Jenkins. Um, and I think one of the finer moments again that I presented but could have gone any way was when we actually arrived at Prado Manor and Anastasia turned and saw that it was Mr. Jenkins who had been the coach driver all along. And this recurrence of Jenkins has been something that that almost has just naturally felt as if it was a big feature to the story. Um, and it seemed very fitting that he would get the big finale scene of of, uh, of season one. So that was about uh, episode three, four, that, that finalised. It was in mind. I kind of knew what was going to happen to a certain character. No spoiler alerts. Um, but yeah, it was probably uh, season three and four. You guys, as the investigators, as I think it should be, as the keeper, you know, you're doing a lot, you know, you're doing a lot of the decision-making, if not, majority of the decision making in terms of where we go and what we find so it's really lovely keeping me on my toes to be able to to respond to that um okay uh we have a question from a doctor dr o uh, or dr ollie uh which historical figure or fictional character from the regency period would you most like to play a game of call of cthulhu with so either historical figure or fictional character uh, not everybody's allowed to say Jane Austen. In fact, no one's allowed to say Jane Austen. That's just cheating. Um, Stu, we'll go with you first. So the... Am I allowed to look at my bookshelf and just... 
look mm. at names. I mean, I think the the obvious option would be Lord Byron. Uh, because he brings the cosmic horror. Why not? Absolutely, why not? In fact, if we could take the Call of Cthulhu starter set to that cottage on the shore of the lake with Polidori and the Shelleys and Byron and just sit down and say, Shelley, don't, don't worry about writing Frankenstein just yet. Polidori, don't worry about writing the vampire just yet. Let's have a game. I think that would be what we want to do. Yeah. Okay, nice. I like it. I like it. Uh, Cosmic, let's go to you next. Now, um, my parliamentary history isn't 100%, so I'll have to turn to Stu for, um, who was the Prime Minister at the time? When did Peel come in? Uh, Peel was, um, Peel was 1820s, 1830s. 1812 yeah. was Spencer Percival. When he was shot, it became mm-hmm. Lord mm-hmm. Liverpool. Lord That's Liverpool it. went on for yes. a while, and it was George Canning, the shortest reigned Prime Minister after that. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. The, when, when I studied uh, 1815 to 51 at uh, uh, school. The characters of the prime ministers, uh, Liverpool, um, later on Melbourne, all, all those kind of people, is just the Houses of Parliament just seem to be an absolute mess of chaos even more so than usual, um, <laughs> because there was much more personalities. And so, you know, going to the Commons and running a game of Call of Cthulhu with the uh, Whigs and uh, you know, everyone, it would be, yes, quite humorous, I would think. Nice. Okay, Lydia, let's, uh, let's go to you. It's a teeny bit out of period, so I'm cheating a tiny bit, but I'm going to say Alexander Hamilton, Uh, not just because I love the musical, uh, but I think he'd really keep the energy up. I think he'd keep everybody entertained, but I also think he might be a bit argumentative and a bit of a rules lawyer. So I think I'd probably ask him to be the keeper, to be honest, put him in charge. And uh, I think he's like one of the million things he hasn't done. So. uh... (laughs) <laughs> ah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it doesn't scan. I don't think you can put that into a wrap, to be honest. <laughs> and Mr. Howell. Um, I know this isn't this isn't on period, but it did mention historical figures alternatively. Um, I, bizarrely enough, I'd really like to play a game with Bob Cratchit and a young Ebenezer Scrooge, because I think more or less unthinkingly that's where i feel like i've positioned burrows he he doesn't have he's got bob cratchit's like oh i'm just trying to do what my boss tells me kind of wretchedness but doesn't have his goodness and purity of spirit uh, and he's probably not as like cold-hearted and driven as a young ebenezer scrooge but yeah, like somewhere yeah. between the two okay yeah i mean let's face christmas carol is not far off a cosmic horror let's be honest it's uh you know, Muppets Christmas Carol, definitely close to Cosmic <laughs> yeah. Horror. Fantastic. And um, Phaedra. Uh, well, every single uh, person in the Ridges era that I know of has been mentioned. So I'm going to, <laughs> to, to reuse one and say Lord Byron because I am Greek and I've been reading about the Greek history. And I don't know if, if this is very well known. Lord Byron is basically the only Regency era English person we learn about at school because he was a massive figure in the uh, Greek independence revolution. Uh He literally went to Greece and fought with Greek people. 
to um, yeah get them free from the Ottoman Empire. And I'm reading uh, kind of I'm rereading modern Greek history at the moment, so I think it'd be interesting to talk more about that with nice. him and I hope to the game. Maybe one set in uh, that modern Greek uh, era period, which I'm considering researching and writing a bit about. Nice. Only fought, but died fighting. Exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. A, where he lived in his uh, tomb in Mesolonghi, which is a place kind of in like central Greece-ish. Mm. So. I remember reading a book about Byron many, many years ago, and it was brilliant because it was like a fictional diary of his of his life, uh, and obviously he he was you know turned into a vampire by some pasha at some point. Bloody fantastic book! I will remember at some <laughs> point and put it in the notes for this because it is an amazing book. Um, uh, I would play a game with um, King George III and his son, the Lord Regent, because uh, I think the son would just go party mad. You know, it'd be a very opulent game of uh, Cthulhu. And uh, his dad would bring the, um, well, the madness, really. Uh, so, yeah, I think that would be that'd be a good call. Okay, cool. Nice. Good question, uh, Dr. Ollie. Um Right, we've got a question here, and I think everybody needs to answer this one. Across the board, nice and quick. Chris Bates, good old Chris. Um, Chris is one of our uh, close pals uh, who's in the community. Uh, his question, really seriously, is uh, why are you all so freaking awesome? So, uh, mm. Stu, why are you so freaking awesome? Because we've got awesome fans and we need to live up to their expectations. Excellent. Cosmic? Ooh, probably because I've been playing Call of Cthulhu for far too long. <laughs> Lydia? There are some things man was not meant to know. Ooh. Nice. How? Uh, I take my vitamins. <laughs> and Phaedra? I will answer a question with that que with a question, which is why are you so awesome? Nice. <laughs> nice turnaround. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's a com it's all of those things together. It's it's amazing fans. Someone to bring this to, uh, people are enjoying it, and we're all secretly stealing Hal's vitamins. That is why <laughs> we are uh, so freaking awesome. I'm not secretly stealing them. You just do it in the open. Just in the open. <laughs> just in there like a squirrel. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, okay. So here's a question for our very own, uh, from Lydia, uh, who's, who's Charlotte's on the podcast. Um, so at what point this season did you genuinely fear your character was about to die horribly or go irrevocably insane? Uh, Lydia, why don't you start us off with that? It's your question. Well, it's kind of an obvious one for me, but it's the lake, isn't it? I mean, when your dead husband turns up and asks you to go out to the lake, when the story calls, you go. Uh, although, to be honest, I was completely ready to just have to pack up my dice and say goodbye until season <laughs> two. I was thinking, I'm not getting out of this one alive. Uh, but I survived. Well, hey. You did have someone save you. Uh, I think that was considerable, yes, considerable you. to the survival of uh, the character. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm not adverse to seeing a character off or two. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's go over to Phaedra. Straight over to Phaedra. Then. I think mine is pretty simple as well. When you hear a terrifying voice say, "Where is my bride?" and you know it's you, then you know there's certain feelings that come up with that uh, that make you want to climb up. Uh, <laughs> The furniture and just try <laughs> try and break a window and, and run for your life. And yeah. I think that was that was that was my that moment. Is literally what you tried to do. Yes. Uh, uh and uh Mr. Howell. 
same time frame, um, I thought for sure the season one finale was going to be the death of Mr. Burroughs. Uh, he hit something of a breaking point, and I think had he been allowed more time to act, he may very well have uh, done himself a mischief. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. I'd like to see what comes of that then in season two. And The Good Reverend? Uh, Reverend's going to knock it back a bit to the bookshop because when you are investigating somewhere as an investigator in Call of Cthulhu, you go in, you know what to expect, you've probably got that shotgun, you got a stick of dynamite in your bag just because. Yeah. And going into the bookshop... And saying, oh, well, here we go. Uh, Chambers is in here somewhere. And, and as the investigator, you no, you don't know how many people are in here. You don't know how they are armed. You need to be getting out of here. And you're describing, well, it's dark and you can't really see anything. What am I going to do? Um, so, yeah, that, that, the bookshop was the most kind of like, oh, here we yeah. go. Yeah. And, you know, as you say, going into that environment, the setting, Regency Cthulhu, it, it, quite brilliantly, and I mean this in such a positive way, but it puts such significant restrictions, societal restrictions. As you said, you can't walk around with a shotgun and stick to dynamite because it's not the done thing. So, you know, there is a, there is a brilliant set of restrictions that force you to have to play in a certain way. Uh, Stu? So I'm going to admit that my sanity rolls throughout the entire thing were pretty successful i don't think i've had much of a risk of going insane let's just say that season two may very well be a, a different story from what we've recorded <laughs> so far um and walking around regency england as an upper class white male character i've got all the confidence that nothing could possibly go wrong i think the hairiest time other than possibly the confronting burrows in the corridor was when the police the watchman mm. came in at the end of the end of the bookshop scene because at that point my privileges the trying to bribe them did not work and although probably wouldn't have been executed for such a crime if taken into custody transportation for life was very well uh, a possible punishment there and that could very well yeah. be the end of thomas prudeau and thomas so far in season one you know he has yeah, up until obviously this breaking moment at the end of the season where everybody is exposed to to the reality of what's going on. But he's very much ridden the societal you know, uh, ride really through this. And other people have experienced a hell of a lot. And he's just maintained the family's uh, reputation in the society through this whole experience, much like the Reverend's tried to do as well. Interesting. We'll have to see if that's something that he's able to do in season two. Uh, let's see. Let's see what works there. Uh, two questions left. One is for you guys. One uh, is for me. So the question for you guys, uh, our wonderful, wonderful cast. This is from Reese. Um, do you think Newman is going to kill any of you? And if so, who will be first? So it's a bit of a follow-on question. Um, let's go in reverse order or whatever order I remember you being in. Stu, I think you were the last to speak. I think Newman's going to kill all of us. Which order he's going to kill us in is very much dependent on which order he records the scenes. <laughs> Who have I got tonight? Dead. Who's next? Dead. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Cosmic. Okay. I mean, I hope not. I hope we can survive because sometimes I think being locked away in a mental asylum 
you know, particularly ones of the Regency period, might be a fate worse than than death. Um, but I, I would like to think that treading carefully, and, you know, as most Call of Cthulhu games, so long as you run away from the monsters and don't put yourself in serious danger, then you might just survive unless the Keeper has it in view. And as we all know, Call of Cthulhu games, it's not adversarial. It's about a, a sharing things. You know, keepers aren't vindictive at all. Absolutely they won't not. pick on players. So, you yep. know, no, um, I genuinely don't know whether the Reverend will make it or, or not. Uh, if he doesn't make it, it will probably be, hopefully, for a very good cause, saving other people. Cosmic, if one of the others was going to die first, who do you think it's going to be? I don't know. I've, I've, Burroughs has had his card marked a number of times and they haven't come up. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Charlotte, um, sorry, the question again was, uh, do you think Neiman going to kill you? Or if not, who is he going to kill? Who's going to be first? I think we're all living on borrowed time, to be honest. But I think particularly the Reverend, I think he's uh, not quite accepted that that things are very, very wrong here. And uh, I think a little bit of in denial there. And I think that makes him quite vulnerable to something terrible happening. Okay, nice. Okay, like pointing the finger. I like this. Uh, Hal, um, go for it. Who's going to go? Yeah, I mean... um... Miss Lambert has been, um, you know, hearing the, the voice of the grave calling uh, for a little while now. But I have to say, I have been expecting Burroughs' death um, more or less since he started. He came in with a, a simple job. Turned out to be not quite so simple, but I thought he was going to outlive his usefulness uh, and be off in some gruesome fashion. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much expecting his demise at any moment. It's, it's going to be a, a race, I suppose. Oh, a, a race to the grave, a race to the mm. end. Uh, Phaedra, who is going to get got? Uh, not to be pr- pragmatic or anything, but judging from the past, probably whoever's schedule clashes with recordings first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, we'll just, can we, we'll just come on live, we'll just record something for 10 minutes. Don't worry, I won't need you again after that. Um, yes yes I completely agree although I think we've taken quite a cool approach to that actually I think there might have been a bit of a benefit to our bizarre schedule uh, recording schedule uh, this coming season so it'll be really interesting hopefully for everybody to to see Um, yeah okay Um, last question last question um, which uh, is for me but I'm really proud to be able to talk about in front of you actually Uh, the question is and I hope I say your name right, so I apologise. It's uh, from uh, Balals. Um, and you're asking, you say, I'm interested in the fact when this scenario will be available on drive through RPG. Um, and then, uh, you're like this, Stu, it is a truth universally, universally acknowledged that a single keeper in possession of adulthood and therefore lack of time must be in want of good inspiration, for example, a well-written scenario. Um well, I can tell you, um, Biles, that uh, it won't be in the immediate future because uh, I am taking time to write this in a very, um, well, a, 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 as a campaign rather than a scenario because it is a campaign. It's not a scenario. Uh, a scenario would have been the the um, encounter in the, the country house where we met Jenkins. Uh, so this is, we're writing this as a, as a campaign, but also Kingscombe will be a setting. 
So whether you use the campaign or whether you use the book to have Kingscombe, this coastal town, as a setting, it can be used for either or with all of the NPCs involved in it. So I'd like to say when, but I'm not going to because we have no idea how long this will take. Um, <laughs> Stu? And I just, my little uh, self-promotion for myself, if you can't wait for Cult and Culpability to be out in print uh, in Drive Through RPG, then Host and Hostility, which is my collection of three Regency scenarios, uh, is currently on Drive Through RPG and will recent, uh, soon be released in print-on-demand hardback Wee. and softback versions. And they, I, I think we've sort of created a shared universe between the two yeah. uh, scenarios, so it's a good thing to look at. Yeah, absolutely. They kind of, I mean, you can, you know, the way we play and the way we work together as a team, all of us, you'll see that there's an element of uh, possibly a little bit of crossover there. Um, so all that's left to say, I think, is, um, well, remember to join us next week for the season two starting episode, Act 11 of Cult and Culpability with a very, very special guest star who is... Lynn Hardy, who is the co-author and co-editor of Regency Cthulhu. So if you'd like to see Lynn Hardy, the Lynn Hardy, in a Regency Cthulhu uh, campaign, scenario, actual play podcast, check us out in Act 11 next week. Thank you very much, cast. Thank you all very much for being here and answering these wonderful questions. Community, thank you uh, for asking these questions and watching this and supporting us. Please chuck comments, keep watching. Let us know if you're enjoying it. Many thanks. Be well, everybody. 